1: Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by 4th & Dude, special edition 2022 season preview episode. We made it, folks. College football is officially back, and we're just a few short days away from Saturday's season opener versus Rutgers. On today's episode, we'll recap key storylines from an eventful offseason, break down both sides of the projected depth chart, and preview what to watch for with the Scarlet Knights coming to town.
0: Matt, it would be hard for me to be more excited about an upcoming football season. I think truthfully, since you know we started at BC in 09, obviously you were a fan earlier than that, but at least in my you know, 13 or so years as a, as a fan of this program, I can't think of a time where we've had so much athleticism in the skill positions. It's just a, a unique setup for a, for a Boston College football team. And I think with that, we're going to see ex- explosive offense. We're going to put up a lot of points. And the defense gets better every year under half, and and we'll get to it, obviously, later. But I think this is going to be one of the best teams we've had in the last decade plus.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's year three for Halfley. It's sort of put up or shut up time. All the off-the-field stuff, right, his personality, all that stuff's great. But, you know, let's face it, the wins haven't necessarily been there, and there's been a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, but this is kind of the year where... Not everything's come together, but we have too much talent on both sides of the ball um, to not win at least seven-plus, eight-plus games, ideally this year. So, you know, it's time to find out. We, we joke, you know, when when Halfley signed that big extension, you know, we don't know if he's a good football coach yet. But he's but he's our football coach. We know that. So, uh, so fingers crossed. Obviously, you know, a lot of concerns about the O-line that we'll talk about. But when you talk about Phil, you talk about Zay, you talk about the studs on defense – there's just too much going for this football team to have another disappointing season. So I think we're all looking forward to what year three has in store.
0: Completely agree. I'll get in front of it, too, just for the sake of this episode and, and kind of behind the scenes inside baseball. I've done approximately zero research in the offseason. I'm not going to know really what I'm talking about game by game. I'm not really going to know what I'm talking about today. Uh, took on a new job a couple weeks ago, so I've been a little busy with the onboarding side of things. So, uh, you know, every year we get older. You know, now we're 31. I, I don't know if that's a secret, but we're 31. We're kind of old now. The responsibilities keep piling up. There's just less and less time to be on the message boards. I, I know you. You know, you had a good Googe thread yesterday, so you've got some some BC bandwidth available, which is good for for our listeners. But I'll okay, get in front of this Fridays. and say that you're going to be the one kind of driving the bus uh, on the episode here.
1: Listen, everyone knows summer, especially August. No one works in August, Correct. And I know that you now you work in finance after taking uh, a two year. Vacation Yeah, I recommend, vacation. I recommend MBAs to everybody, by <laughs> the way. It's, if you can get it, it's, it's a lot of fun. We appreciate you joining the workforce and, and now being a productive member of society. Uh, but yeah, uh, certainly recognizing that, uh, you're very busy. Uh, I'm busy. Uh, but I'm also very much, I'm just so jacked up for, for this football season. Um, but yeah, sometimes Friday afternoon rolls around. You want to do a deep dive on, uh, you know, some googe analytics. Who doesn't? That's, that's what I'm going to do. Who doesn't? I got a lot of flack in the fourth and dude group chat about that. Someone, (laughs) one of our, one of our other friends that's behind the scenes, um, he had a funny text that said, you know, that meme where it says no one and then it's, and then all of a sudden, the other person just says a bunch of things. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain that. No, it makes me, sense.
0: But. I can picture it. <laughs> I was in the group chat, so that makes it easier.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, let's kick this off. Uh, we have a couple segments here. And yeah, this is going to be kind of an agenda-free episode. It's Saturday morning. We're about a week till kickoff. Almost exactly, uh, you know, a, a full week uh, before Rutgers comes to town. Matt, what are your half fulls? Let's get into the positives first.
0: Well, I think I I touched on it in the start, but I just think the athleticism broadly. I think that we've had success in the past decade, obviously, and, and, you know, I don't want to say put a ceiling on that success, but six, six, seven wins has been the ceiling. And when, you know, those teams have been good, there still hasn't been this explosive offense. You know, obviously there's plays that come to mind. You think of the USC game, for example, that was like the most of Tyler Murphy in general was the most explosive offense we've seen in a long time. I think having that now on a weekly basis with the Zay Flower Show, with Garwell being the running back that he is and a quarterback that, you know, by all accounts, and and if he has the year that I think many of us think he can, can be a first-round draft pick, like this is just unique in terms of Boston College football. It's not going to be this stud offensive line, which we'll talk about because there are some very valid and legitimate terrifying concerns there, but this is not going to be that traditional Boston college of we're just going to beat in the trenches and we're going to run all over you with an AJ Dillon. This is going to be, we're going to spread the field. We're going to put up a lot of points. And by the way, we're going to win games with our defense as well, which, you know, we haven't really seen it since, since Don Brown was here. So overall just really excited about, I think, I think when we win games, which is going to be a lot, but they're going to be fun wins. Like they're going to be fun wins to watch. They're not going to be these grinded out, um, you know, pound the rock type wins that we were used to under the Daz years and even some of the, the early two Halfley years. So just excited to watch a, a high powered, high octane offense this year.
1: Yeah, really not a, a historical characteristic to have these electric skill players and have concerns in the trenches. It's, it's going to be a unique season from that standpoint, but that's what Halfley wants. Right. And, and you know, Halfley's certainly a solid recruiter uh has focused primarily on the defense, but you know, he's also been able to leverage, you know, that the transfer portal will get guys like Phil. Zay uh, was actually an Adazio guy. We have guys like Jalen Gill. He was able to bring in there's just so much talent specifically on the offensive skill position that you know we're gonna have a lot of explosives this year on that side of the ball. Uh, on that point, one of my biggest half from the offseason is uh, the change in coordinators. And, and really, the uh, I'll group the O-line coach in, in as well. Dating back to the very first game under Halfley, it was versus Duke back in 2020, right? We've been pretty vocal in our disappointment with offensive coordinator Frank Signetti and O-line coach Matt Applebaum. The offensive output just hasn't matched The talent that we had, you know, even when healthy, even if you throw up, you know, last year, right? Just way too predictable on third and fourth downs in the red zone. Um, Applebaum blew up what was previously a a top 20 offensive line. Um switched guys around, you know, needlessly forced this zone blocking scheme that never worked, never really came close to working. We'll see what they do with that this year. That's it's gonna be interesting to watch how they tweak that. So, you know, after two years of ineptitude, in, in which we were ranked 10th in the ACC in 2020, and then uh, last, dead last in 2021 in yards per game, half finally said, you know what, I've seen enough. And he sent those guys packing. Credit to Halfley for doing that, right? I mean, that's really tough to kind of admit that you were wrong. And those were his guys. And and while Halfley's a defensive guy, he really let those offensive guys run the offense. And he had he admitted to it. He said he had he didn't have as much involvement as he would have liked. So those were two crucial hires. He missed on them, and he was able to not only kind of let go of let let go of them, you know, in a timely manner, but they somehow got promotions out of it, or at least Applebaum, who's now the O-line coach with the Miami Dolphins. Um, and Cignetti, for whatever reason, Pitt decided, oh, yeah, we want that guy running our offense. So, um, you know, certainly an interesting offseason from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll just take I want to take 10 seconds on just the the insanity of college football hiring, by the way. Like even, you know, with with Coach googe, this guy's been fired, you know, 15 times in the last 10 years. And he continued to get, you know, an ACC high level job. Who on earth the Miami Dolphins hiring Matt Applebaum after what they saw the last two years? Like what is going on with? NFL front offices, college head coaches making these hiring decisions. It's just like the old boys club. And once you're in, you have a job for life. And it's like they've all agreed on some handshake deal that we're never going to, like, actually kick you out of the profession. I don't know what needs to happen. But Signetti should not have a job. He should be in a retirement home. Applebaum should just not be anywhere near football ever again. But anyways, they're not our problem anymore. I think it was um, – I want to say Blogston, our, our fellow 2013 good friend, he had a tweet I think last week about – you know, one of Halfley's biggest flaws and, 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 you know, again, as it's been said on Twitter many times over the, the offseason, the guy is just six and six in, in both of his two years. So there are some valid criticisms there, but Blogston pointed out one of the biggest ones is his loyalty and, you know, how you could have made a switch from both Cignetti and Applebaum after year one. You certainly could have made a midseason last year, but, you know, he, he continued to kind of ride or die with his guys. So seeing that transition and, and having half actually you know, have enough to pull the plug and say, "All right, look, enough's enough." I, I know that we go way back; we have this relationship, but let's move on. is huge for his development as a head coach. And when you hire a first-time head coach, a young guy, you're going to have to deal with some of those growing pains. It's a shame that it took two years to get here, but you know, it is part of his his longer term trajectory. So, absolutely thrilled to to see that, and excited about Mcnulty. Mcnulty, I think, got off to a rough start. He had some bad tweets. Uh, I forget exactly what about it, it was. Something about a, making light about of. Yeah, it was like making light of NIL because of a, a, a mental health, uh, suicide, which is terrible, but, uh, terrible start for, for him on Twitter. But I think since then, people have been kind of positive about what he's going to bring to this offense. He brought in the, I assume he was, had a key hand in bringing in the, the, the transfer tight end from Notre Dame as well. So. Uh, and just broadly, if we can get, especially on a year when we have Notre Dame on the calendar, getting like a lot of Notre Dame guys in on top of Jerko, I think is huge for like the locker room potential before that matchup. Like everyone's going to be rallying around of like F these guys, you know, we got a lot to prove to them. So overall, uh, very excited. Googe, I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, you know, you had a good threat on it yesterday, as we alluded to, he's been fired a hundred times in like five years he rubs people the wrong way by all accounts. He was tweeting nonstop until what, like early May, and then that just actually shut off. So I wonder what happened behind the scenes there of like, hey, you haven't signed a single recruit yet. Stop tweeting about big dogs all the time. But uh, and that was right around the mahogany injury as well. So we'll see. Overall, I, I, I'm, I'm more positive on McNulty than Googe, but generally, broadly, happy that Halfley had enough to pull the plug.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. My, my thread, you know, I did all this work yesterday, putting together the analytics. And then I didn't really, it's one of those where it's like, all right, what did that tell us? I wasn't really sure. There was didn't no really conclusion
0: to your to your analysis there. That's it. Yeah.
1: Those, uh, so we looked at five years of, of, you know, the last five seasons that Googe was a line coach for five different teams, which is just hysterical. And, you know, it seems like it's pretty hit or miss. Like the year he was with the Colts. He was awesome. The line was incredible. They had this massive turnaround. They went from dead last in the NFL and sacks allowed to first, and then Reich still fired him. Uh, So, and there's more to the story there. It sounds like Reich just wanted to bring in his own guy, and then you look at his other stops. And you know uh, the the Dolphins. You know, I think they were tanking that year. So you you really can't you know draw conclusions from a lot of these things. But you know, if I were to take away one thing, it seems like he's very good at improving. Uh, and pass protection, it seems like run blocking, which was one of our big issues last year, obviously, it's a little less conclusive. Um, but yeah, it's it's just such a bizarre situation where the guy has had legitimately 15 jobs in 15 years. It's insane. Um, but I think either way, I, I'm the kind of guy where, you know, we've gotten a large enough sample size of Cignetti and Applebaum to know that it just wasn't working, right? And I'm the kind of guy that would always prefer to take a flyer on an unknown than the continued suckitude of whatever that was. You know, I think one thing that – one reason why Signetti stayed on so long is because he was instrumental in bringing Phil in. So, Halfley's probably thinking, you know, don't want to rock the boat from that standpoint. One thing I really want to see this year is Halfley's fingerprints on the offensive side of the football. He's got to act like a head coach. Like, he's done a great job with the defense. He's done a really, really good job turning turning around this defense from, uh, you know, obviously we're absolutely terrible in 2019. He's done a great job on that side of the ball, but he's admitted. He's said, I've kind of neglected the offense. It's time I take, you know, sort of a closer closer look at the offense and get more involved directly in that. So, and this might be a dumb comment here, but it's football, right? Like, he's he's this defensive mastermind. Can't you kind of reverse engineer it and be able to tell what's working or not working on the opposite side of the football? I get that if it's Signetti and he's got 20 years on you, he's one of your mentors from back in the day. You know, you really can't tell him how to run his offense, but – now bringing in this guy McNulty, you know, hopefully we get that half brain, uh, you know, effect on her a little bit, whatever that looks like. Uh, so, you know, I think the takeaway is change is good, especially when it wasn't working last year. This is Phil's last year, it's Zay's last year. So, uh, you know, McNulty's, McNulty's, you know, history is it's interesting. I mean, he hasn't been an OC. He was the OC at Rutgers, I think, in 2018, and then midway through 19, uh, Chris Ash got fired. He was actually the OC when we played them. Uh, we played at Rutgers in 19 and actually put up a fair amount of yards. Uh, so it's just, it's tough to tell with him because he hasn't really coached with anyone that isn't Rutgers. <laughs> so anything could happen with McNulty, anything could happen with Gooch. Uh, but the big thing is uh, they're not the guys that that were there previously. So I'm Agreed. excited. It's
0: better than a known, the unknown is better than a known bad entity. So we'll take it. Uh, I have one more just quick positive thing. It's, it's not super football related, but uh i just want to give it 30 seconds because we haven't recorded since what last like october november um keep this very shut
1: it down after the nc state what a disaster going to the nc state game and having that just terrible second half in the rain yeah we said all right podcast is
0: enough we we got to do enough um so just 30 seconds on this i just want to say how much i love earl grant we're again this is a football show we're not going to get into basketball right now but Earl Grant, I think the hire is fantastic, and it looks better every day. Not only is he a great basketball coach, and I, I do feel very confident that this team's going to make the tournament uh, this coming year. He is apparently a great golfer as well. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, Matt. He there was a BC basketball alumni golf tournament down in your neck of the woods last week. Earl's Grant, Earl's group won the whole tournament, which is very exciting. Um, so you love to see that. I actually, Matt, I played golf for the first time in a year. Uh, at a company outing last week, and I tore my shoulder out on the second drive, which is kind of a disaster. <laughs> it's my first day, uh, first day with the firm, so not great there. Um, but, anyways, I love what Earl's doing with the program. I think the run they had in Brooklyn uh, in March was one of the most exciting, you know, mo- exciting week uh, of BC basketball we've had in a really long time. The young guys, Jay Z is like going to be an absolute star. Um, you know, the rest of this freshman class that they're bringing in is going to be awesome. So overall, the the ceiling is super bright. And Matt, one other thing about that week in Brooklyn, those of you who were there for the opener, uh, there were like fifteen people in the crowd. I was selected to represent BC in the halftime show. I won. I think that was against Pitt, right? Was the opener? Um, so credit to me and anyone else who was there. I was the guy Sounds in the right. gold. Gold for Kim Sanders jersey, which which plays all the time, by the way. But uh, someone had to bring home the gold for BC that day.
1: Yeah, I think they're probably a year or two away from the tourney. They have these great, you know, highly recruited or highly rated freshmen, rather. Uh, that it sounds like are, are going to play right away. And whether they're ACC ready is TBD. But there's such a great nucleus of uh, Jay Z is like my favorite player in, in a long time. He's so underrated. I don't know why anyone on this on this basketball team shoots threes other than him. He sh- he's like 46. percent And everyone else is like 25 percent. Well, that's also that average
0: is brought down by by one particular Uh, shooter. don't don't
1: do that. I'm not going to.
0: I do want to just say quickly that when again, also in Brooklyn, I thought for sure his family was going to like beat me up. I I don't know how they I I don't think we were really that harsh on him. But broadly, B.C. Twitter was was harsh on him. And his wife, girlfriend, I don't know, was sitting two rows in front of me kept looking back and like staring in my direction for the whole first half. And I think I like tweeted out where we were sitting. So maybe she was like kind of trying to track that and realizing it was me. I was like absolutely terrified. It turns out she was just looking for a friend who was like 15 rows behind me. But I didn't find that out until the second half started. I was very uncomfortable. I was going to literally move seats. Uh, But anyways, glad he's gone. I think that uh, that's good for the locker room, just good for the team in general. Although I do predict him putting up like 50 when we play Clemson this year. Oh
1: no doubt, no <laughs> it's gonna be. He's gonna, be a, gonna, he's gonna
0: go fifteen for fifteen for three. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be pretty painful. I have a. I have a bad feeling.
1: But between Jay Z post, you know, hopefully Demar takes a leap this year, and then anything can happen with these freshmen. These look like ACC, you know, closer to ACC ready freshmen than we've had historically that need some time to develop. So yeah, I'm excited. It, you know, after the Jim Christian era, I'm excited for BC basketball again. We ended last season on a great note. Would have been awesome to get that Miami win, but, uh, you know, what are you gonna do? All right, uh, going back to football, uh, I wanna talk about Zay. Obviously, Zay is just an absolute highlight reel anytime he touches the ball. Didn't get nearly enough touches last year. And frankly, I wouldn't have blamed him if he, you know, tested the portal and, you know, looked at a a blue blood. I think he could go anywhere in the country. Any team would love to have. Uh, that deep threat or that reliability over the middle, just the ability for him to get separation, and then once he has the ball, just he's untouchable. Uh, the fact that not only did he stick around, but he had hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, waved at him, which is by the way illegal, and it's an illegal inducement to to say, hey, if you if you come play for us, you're going to get six hundred k. Total BS. I'm in the fraud world. I would have prosecuted the shit out of that. Uh, but anyway, that's a separate story. Fortunately, it didn't have to happen. Zay said, you know, BC education is more important than, you know, a short-term cash grab. I want to stay here with my brothers, and I want to compete for an ACC championship. Just such a great storyline. He's such a great, you know, kind of the ultimate BC guy. You saw Jordan Addison, you know, b- pretty much go to the highest bidder, you know, left Pitt in a really tough spot, and the fact that Zay said, you know what, I'm staying here. This is my school. This is my team. Such a great thing, and, and completely changes our, our season without without Zay. I mean, he's our outlook with Zay versus out with first without Zay is I don't know four or five games different I'd say like he's', he's the guy
0: yeah no hundred percent that was huge and it, and it does speak I guess you know in a lot of ways to like the culture of the locker room right now and really how this team kind of cares about each other cares about playing with each other which I do think often pays off in the field um, just quickly I, I will go a half empty here I'm not thrilled with the half quotes on I agree with their quotes of, we need to get him the ball as often as possible, as many touches. I don't love him returning punts. As electric as it will be. Oh, as electric grand- as it will be. It's just like, what the, the upside, you know, again, over the course of a season, you think he probably takes one back to the house. That upside versus the obvious downside of one guy running through a fair catch or, you know, any other exposure to injuries there, just to me is, again, to the point that this guy is worth four wins uh, is, is terrible. So that's a downside for me, which does, Matt, lead nicely into one of your half empties uh, which is in the medical tent field? If you want to touch on that,
1: oh sure, yeah, I, I want if Zays wants to return punts, I want him returning punts. As someone that used to return punts, by the way, way back in the yep. day, yeah, you did. Uh, it's really, it's really not that dangerous, guys. Like you're going to fair catch it most of the time. You're only going to catch it when you have space. And you're not going to pull the Jamie Silva bullshit from if you guys remember the 07 days when he would try to like pick up a, a ground ball in traffic. Like Zay is not going to do that. He's only going to catch it when he has room to run. And feel, listen, we're gonna we're gonna be in a lot of close games this year. Field position matters, and Zay is probably good to, to rip a couple, you know, three or four touchdowns easily. Right? I mean. Looking, I was, I was watching some of the, uh, the highlights from last year, just like some of his runs against Florida State, that wake one that got called back. Like he is, I've never seen an athlete like this. Um, so however we can get him the football, I'm all in on that. I say no on kickoff returns because I think that's a little more injury prone, but I think punts, yeah, let's go for it. Injuries though, you brought up injuries. I think it's a good point. Obviously, the Christian Mahogany news, I don't know if it was confirmed or not. Uh, but shout out to our our, our buddy Marty, uh, who's pretty accurate with with breaking news. He's, like he's, he's shockingly
0: <laughs> plugged in. I, I think that I, yeah, I'll he's give, got a I'll give him a lot of credit. He's got sources. I think it helps when you're. I think he. I, I assume he's a lot younger than us, so he probably is like closer to people who are still there working in the department. But he is shockingly plugged in. I'll tell you what, the old people and like the old message board people do not like when he has sources. But <laughs> to be fair, you know he all, like they also will collectively. Those guys will. They didn't start the whole fight at practice. They just kind of uh, ran with it. They definitely didn't start it. But I think that because they're plugged in, it's almost like a Streisand effect of now when they tweet something, people just assume it's it's related to inside knowledge. The fight thing on Twitter was actually a hilarious 24 hours in the B.C. Twitter sphere. Really enjoyed that.
1: you, you got to take it with a, with a, with a yeah, grain of salt agree. anytime Marty's tweeting about something. But in this particular case, he, he was right on it, right? I mean, it sounds like – listen – I'm a basketball guy. I get it. I like to hoop. If I'm a 350-pound O-lineman that is projected to go in the first round, maybe I'm not going hard in the paint as much, right? Maybe I'm not, you know, putting myself in that position. Well, you're a three-point shooter anyways. I am. It's different. And and I'm not banging it down low, so I totally get it. You know, if he's going up for a layup and someone, you know, puts their leg out or he steps on a foot funny, I get it. I get it. Uh, Just – Really, a position that we couldn't afford to lose, kind of the key veteran there. So, uh, obviously, that is what it is. Uh, we also just heard Joey Lucchetti is medically retired from football. I think that's a massive loss. He's one of those guys. And, and again, I was watching some film uh, last week. He is just very, very good in the run game. Like, he's he picks up blocks effortlessly. He's a, he's a massive guy. And, you know, I think this season, and let's, let's assume that the O line is going to struggle. I think in all likelihood, that has to be kind of our baseline assumption. The tight ends can really help out a lot with that. We saw, you know, Jake Burt and Corey Vidriese back in the day picking up, you know, DNs coming around the corner. And it makes a difference. And here's the other thing too. Travis Levy, heck of a blocker. We lost him. I'm concerned not only about the line, but about some of the guys we're losing that were, you know, helpful for for picking up blocks. So, um I think Luchetti, I think that's going to be a bigger a bigger deal than people might realize. Obviously, we have the new tight end uh in from Notre Dame who's similarly sized. I don't know what his deal is. I think he's more of a pass catcher. So, you know, it's going to be on, you know, a guy like Spencer Winter or you know, one of the younger guys uh to to step up and fill that role. So, you know, injuries happen for every football team. But uh, but those were two that, that aren't great uh, for BC this year.
0: Yeah, the mahogany one w- was terrible because again, when you look around to you know, the rest of the roster, you say, all right, we got a you know stud quarterback, we have a stud receiver, we have a great running back. I know one guy doesn't make up the line, but like having arguably, if not clearly, the best offensive lineman in the ACC makes a big difference. Now the other side is you know you could talk about he's only one guy, and and you know one guy is not going to make all five you know, work. So there were going to be issues regardless, but yes, that's, that's pretty massive. Uh, Matt, we got about 10 minutes left. I want to, before we just talk records and our expectations are very high expectations for the season broadly. One other quick half empty, if that's all right, we got to talk about Blake James. What a terrible hire it was. And I don't want to, I don't want to pile on the guy because it is approaching internet bullying. Like, it's, I don't it's want to pile me.
1: on the guy, but what a terrible hire. I mean, he's What a terrible hire. Come on, mean, the guy, guy
0: has – the guy was, again, basically put into a retirement home by Miami, and now he shows up here. He is completely – he doesn't have any presence whatsoever. The college football playoff shirt is, was a hilarious kind of introduction to him joining BC Twitter. Um, ever since Baum left, more broadly, the, the athletics department has been silent um and, and and total lack of, of fan engagement which you kind of saw last week as well but this guy is just pathetic he is looks like he's 100 years old he should not be still in athletics I think you and I could have done a better job as athletic directors we would have probably taken less combined salary than him as well um although we could have maybe bargained up a little bit more but this is just a classic Leahy hire of picking some other old guy who doesn't belong in the office And it is ultimately, in in right now, one of the most pivotal times in the history of college athletics. We kind of need someone who's going to be sharp. This guy is, I think, quite literally asleep at the wheel. I assume he comes in and just like eats breakfast and then takes a nap for six hours and goes home and wears his college football playoff shirt the whole time.
1: (laughs) Wow. I'll say this. I mean, he better be able to fundraise because to date he hasn't done anything worth uh, his salary, which I, I'm guessing is what 800k, probably all in. I would guess, yeah, right for, for an AD is, but uh, yeah, just just a, a head scratcher from the beginning. There's a reason he was out at Miami, and the the Wei interview. The thing with that, like, and it got overblown a little bit. He didn't say anything necessarily that was incorrect. It's just when you look at what he's saying and the full quote is something along the lines of, well, we're, we're going to rate, we're going to wait for federal regulation on NIL. Right. BC is not, not going to be involved. We don't believe that's the right course. And I'm paraphrasing here. But the question was really like, how do you think NIL is going to shape the, the future of college football? And his answer was kind of like that. Whereas if you look at any other power five school, you know their AD is marketing the crap out of their right. program. They're going to take that opportunity and say, "Hey, listen, we're going to we're going to pay our student athletes. We're going to make sure we're competitive, uh, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that that this school is is a destination for top student athletes." And he just completely like no one cares about your personal opinions about NIL. I agree, it needs to be more right, re- more federally regulated. You're not going to do anything about that though. Like your role, as it stands right now, is to promote BC. That's all you have to do. It's the only thing you have to do. It's very so, reminiscent.
0: Uh, it, that, that was very reminiscent to the Brad Bates when he was the one school to vote against basically the NIL before it became the NIL, right? Remember that? Right. Whatever. It, during his other silent tenure. So I'm getting a lot of it's early Brad Bates ben. from this. Yeah, exactly. The one school, because again, it's his personal opinion, wants to vote against it. How, do, how does that make us look? Uh, if I'm another ACC program, I'm playing that clip to every single recruit that I'm walking into, not an ACC program. Any other program in the country that's recruiting against BC, I'm playing that clip and saying, look, like you could come to you know Miami or any other, not even a you know, blue blood, any other, just a good school that's going to try to a pit, for example, like, all right, we're in a major city. We're going to try to get you some exposure versus this, like you're on your own. So night and between- day, it's just terrible
1: <laughs> between that quote. And then did you see his tweet where he he pretty much showed a guy on crutches and yeah, <laughs> I yeah, I think it was one of the D linemen he outed a guy as you know pretty much out for the year Halfly must like hate this guy yes. <laughs> Halfley's trying to you do know, all half, these right half, things. Half, and half
0: the reason like a, he came to BC is or such a big reason he came to BC is cuz he had this great relationship with Jarmon. they took the private jet yep. together they had this you know this this bromance He's gone. He's like, all right, Pat Craftley's a football guy. Like we can we can find some middle ground. And now he's got Blake James, who like legitimately, I mean, Halfway's a young guy. Blake James is like old enough to be his like great grandfather, I think. And you know, knows nothing about anything of of modern game. Like he would be probably good friends with a Don Shula type, for example. Is Don Shula still alive?
1: Uh, I think he did, Yeah, I think so. Did he
0: just die? Not like breaking uh, news just die, like like, I think in the last 12 months. Anyways, Blake James seems like a Don Shula type, not a Jeff Halfley type. So uh, I, I think this is – if Halfley does leave at some point in the next year or two, I think the fact that if Blake James is the guy at the helm here is is a big, big reason for that. So I just had Don to get that Shula, off my chest.
1: Don Shula is dead. Okay. So rest in peace. Rest
0: in peace to Don uh, Shula. But that's sad for Blake James because they probably were good friends.
1: And here's the other thing too. And then we can move on. Any other year or any other era of college football, it'd be kind of like okay, (laughs) haha, funny. Doesn't matter. He's going to
0: retire in a year, anyways, because he's ninety.
1: Right. This is such a pivotal time with conference realignment, with the ACC grant of rights, with everything that's going on right now, and this is probably we don't have enough time to get into you know what the future of the ACC is going to look like. My personal opinion is I don't. It's not like we're safe till twenty thirty six or whenever the grant of rights expires. Correct. These ads. And, and, you know, conference commissioners, like, they, they are egotistical. They like to kind of alpha each other, right? There's going to be moves that are made in the within the next three or four years that are going to shake up the ACC and college football as a whole. BC currently does not have a – we don't deserve a seat at the table, frankly. And it would have been great to have a guy like MJ, maybe Kraft, I don't know what he did, but just a guy that gets it at the helm. So at least have a prayer. I'm, I'm, I know people joke, like, oh yeah, BC's gonna wind up in the Patriot League. With this guy, it, it wouldn't shock me. Correct. Like, it wouldn't shock me for, we just, we just get left behind. And, um, yeah, just, I just can't believe we hired this guy. You know what? I don't know what, like, I get Leahy and I get that he is, is the authority on all this. What is the Board of Trustees doing? Like, does no one on the Board of Trustees give a shit about football? No. Or, no, the or, answer is absolutely not. Or, absolutely not. or the institution's future as a whole that, by the way, is very much dependent on, uh, you know, on athletics. It's just insane. The and, irony and, you
0: know, of a school benefiting from the Flutie, like being named for the Flutie right. effect, the irony of them just totally missing out on the importance of athletics infuriates me every single day. I would say that's one of the biggest stresses in my life is just how incompetent the BOT and specifically Leahy are when it comes to anything sports related. So very frustrating, Matt. I think, you know, we, we should just like collectively in 10, five, you know, 5, 10 years, get like 40 people, young people who care about sports to like give all of our assets to one Guy, so that he's rich enough to become on the bot and actually like make a push here, because these ninety year old guys that they keep electing to it just as kind of like a you know thing to put on their resume at the country club is is getting pretty frustrating when these people just don't care at all about sports, which is the only thing I care about with Boston College at this point. Like I, I'm a math guy. I love the new they did something with math or whatever they developed something that's all good. I care about a winning football team, a winning basketball team to a lesser extent, a winning hockey team, and and I guess baseball would be if they won great, but I don't really care about those two. I just care about. Basketball and football. Give me a winning. Crowd. By the way, it's
1: it's it's not like our academics are, are correct. Better. We, we've slid uh, in the rankings <laughs> every year. Why do you just, think? Just, ah, just everything's going. Yeah. So all right. all right. Let's uh, let's move on because I know we could spend a lot of time on this. I want to do a couple a couple more things. I know we're running short. I've online. got like five You're minutes left. I've got
0: five minutes left. I'm.
1: What do you where do you have to go, Matt? Well, I'm go?
0: I'm going furniture shopping today, Matt. I'm 31. I, I told you That's, there's a lot of things. I got five no, minutes left. no
1: There's no clock on that. There's no clock on that. I want to talk depth chart real quick because I promised that. Let's do two minutes on the depth chart. We have to talk Rutgers, so I might need like seven more minutes here. I'll go quick on the depth chart. Two minutes right? on the
0: depth chart. I'm literally timing you. I'm going to cut you off in exactly two minutes.
1: All right. Uh, shoot. Let's see here. So, Phil is obviously our quarterback. Don't, D- do don't waste time that. on that. You know that's the <laughs> obvious one. All right. So the, the two main units that our, our season depends on is the O line. We already talked about the O line, five brand new starters, most of which were very heralded recruits. You talk about Kendall. Uh, you talk about Trapillo. Uh, you talk about a couple of the other guys that have some snaps, but, but very minimal starts. Anything could happen, right? The good news is it's not like we were all that great last year. So it's not like there's going to be this huge, you know, drop off from, O-line U because of, you know, how bad they botched it last year. Not dumping on the players, by the way. Most of those guys are still – or and the NFL still in camps as we speak. But just if you look at the advanced stats, BC's O-line as a unit was just terrible. So uh, there won't be a drop-off, but, you know, if we have an average O-line, we have a chance at a special season. If it's like Florida State bad – then probably not. And, and Phil, you know, might be injury prone and, and all that stuff. Run game won't work, et cetera. You guys know that. There's no sense in even talking about it more. We'll see what happens with Rutgers. We'll know pretty quickly what we got there.
0: All right. One minute in. Good job. You're on pace.
1: All right. Uh, and that's, I think that's kind of the story of the offense. Otherwise, it's kind of business as usual. Uh, we mm-hmm. didn't really lose any key players from last year. So, uh, so it's all good. Defensively, um, the strength's going to be in the secondary. Uh, obviously that's where Hap put his, put his stamp. DeBerry, I think, is going to be an all-ACC guy. Uh, there's some concerns about the front seven. Uh, we a lot. Lost, I would say uh, a lot a of concerns. Of this. Well, I, I think they have to be better. I think they have to be better. There's a lot of guys that, that got some time as freshmen. I'm a big, big, big Marcus Valdez guy, as we all know, the certified public sack accountant. He's in year seven or eight. Like <laughs> It's insane. It's like like, Carl Krauser of BC many football. De- he has so many degrees at this point. Um, so I think he's, he's going to be great. We have Boozy back. That's massive. I'm a big, big, big Ty Clemens guy. As you guys know, I'm a spring game enthusiast. He had five sacks in the spring game, something crazy like that. I really like him to emerge. Realistically, he's going to be one of those guys that has a great spring game and then we never see, we never hear from again. That seems to happen all the time. The only key guy we really lost is IGM, who I think was good. Uh, he was a good, you know, middle linebacker and flew around the field. But we got a lot of great guys when you talk about Cam Arnold, you talk about Blackwell, uh, you talk about Steele, guys that are quick. Like these are athletes. And it's the scheme that Halfley wants to run. He finally has his type of guy in there. So again, it's kind of the same thing. If the D-line is even average, I really like the kind of the, the certainly the secondary. And I think that these linebackers could be special as well. So if you look at the stats. Like I said, halfly improved the defense from pretty much dead last in every category in 19 to average in 2020. And then we were like a top 30 defense. We we're excellent against one of the top teams against the pass. We have to improve on the rush. Uh, but, but one of the top teams in the ACC against the pass. If that continues, then, uh, you know, we could have some low scoring ball games. The offense doesn't have to be spectacular. Uh, I, I just look for the defense to be a major strength and, and one of the top units in the conference, certainly, and, and ideally in the country.
0: I agree. Nothing to add. I think that was really well done there, Matt. Appreciate uh, you doing some research on this pod because I, a lot of those, you know, I couldn't have told you a lot of that stuff. Let me just put it that way. But I came in at three and a half minutes. So well done. You want to take two minutes on Rutgers. And then we're going to go Mike and the Mad Dog style game by game through the season prediction here.
1: Sure. So, uh, so Rutgers, and I meant to look up the line, I think it's still floating around seven, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're home favorites, seven point favorites to, to Rutgers. I'm a little more concerned about this game than I think most folks are. I think Rutgers. So they were five and eight last season, right? Shiano's done a decent job improving recruiting. They haven't really seen the benefits of that yet. It's it's still going to take another year or two where they're really back. They went five and eight, if you recall Matt, they went to the Gator Bowl because Texas A&M, I believe, had COVID issues. So uh, they they despite going five and seven, they got the call up to play Wake and got smoked by Wake, uh, which we did too, by the way. We so, did. You yep. know. No, nothing. So, uh, so, so coming off that season, like you got to remember, like Rutgers plays in, the, in a very tough division. They're, they're on the very good side of the Big Ten where they have to play Michigan, Michigan State, yep. uh, Penn State, Ohio State, obviously. So five and seven, five and eight, like that's not that bad of a record. They had a couple good wins. They beat Illinois last year. Like they're not, they're not the Rutgers of 2018, 2019, right? Sure. Like, they're an, okay, they're an okay football team. They have this new quarterback, Gavin Winsett, who was a top three dual threat in the country uh, from a couple recruiting classes ago. He's a redshirt freshman. He's competing for the job with the incumbent, who is like another seventh-year guy. Noah Vedral, who we saw in 2019. Um, they still haven't named a quarterback, which is interesting. Um, I'm hoping it's Vedral, just kind of the, the devil you know, and he's got a, a definite ceiling as opposed to throwing in this kind of an unknown who had some spot duty last year, but otherwise could be the next big thing. And, and you know, it, it's just harder for us to game plan against that. And, and half, half's watching film, obviously, there's nothing to go off of, really. So I think that's one thing to, to watch out for. They did lose a couple guys to the NFL, um, Bo Milton uh, and Isaiah Pacheco. So two key uh, skill guys that they don't really have replacements for. Their defense was was okay. They do have a new D coordinator, um, but they they held I think Michigan to like twenty points, something like that. So it's kind of hit or miss. It's kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. You don't know who's going to show up. Like they'll give up forty two points to Maryland, but they'll only you know they'll hold Michigan to twenty. So it's uh it's kind of one of those things where you don't know which ruckers you're going to get necessarily. Uh, but overall, I don't think we should take this game too lightly. Anything can happen in an opener.
0: It is an opener. Anything can happen in an opener. Shout out our guy, Sylvia. Look, I, I think broadly you covered everything there. I'm just going to go right to my score prediction. I think they do nothing on offense, and I think our offense you know, is strong enough to, to put up some points. I agree with you in general. I think Shiano is, is going to do a good job. It's obviously a great hire, and they're not going to be the, the doormat. You know, They're not going to be UConn, for example. Um, but I still think this is a pretty comfortable win. I'm going to go right into the score prediction. BC 31, Rutgers 10.
1: Okay. So yeah. comfortable. It's a comfortable yeah, win. Comfortable. I got 24 to 9. Okay. I, uh, I still have concerns about our O line. So, um, you know, I think I, I, I don't know that I see us getting into the 30s. Um, but I do think that, you know, Rutgers has enough issues offensively where, and I, I just, I'm really high on our defense this year. So uh, I, I like us to, to hold them to, you know, less than a couple touchdowns. Um, but yeah, obviously this is a massive game, and, and need to get the season off to the right foot. If we lose to Rutgers, <laughs> you kind of start to. And I assume that if we do lose to Rutgers, it's going to be because we don't have an O line. So, uh, so like we keep saying, Rutgers will tell us a lot about what the rest of the season looks like.
0: Agreed. Uh, with that, Matt, let's do again, Mike and the Mad Dog style, ninety seconds each. We're going to just click. I don't game. know what
1: that means. I don't watch Mike right. or the Mad Dog. You're not
0: from the. You're not from the northeast, or you're not from the tri-state area. I guess it would be. Cor- that's You're correct. Not. I'm proud of it. You're not. Okay. So uh, basically, it's as simple as it sounds, Matt. You just go game by game. You say, you know, Rutgers win, Vatek. I'm not going to spoil all my guesses yet. You go through that. You say no more than five seconds on a particular game. At the end, you've arrived at your total season prediction. Basically, a way to get to our can final note can, can
1: I have one note about the schedule, just kind of overarching? Yes. Um, obviously, our, our if you look at the schedule, right – the buy is right in the middle of the schedule, so it's kind of like two, you know, two six-game seasons, if you will. The first six games, while not impossible, it's kind of tough. We have a tough schedule this year. We kind of had a weaker one last year, and obviously it depends on how good the ACC is. But we currently have four teams that are ranked. Um, you talk about Clemson, NC State, Wake Forest, and Notre Dame. Uh, some of those I think are, are, are fraudulent rankings, uh, especially Hartman's out for Wake Forest, um, but. You know The good news is we have some time for the O-line to gel before we get to NC State, Notre Dame. Uh, but the, the the first six games is a tough stretch. That's all I'll say.
0: Okay. Right well, spoiler alert, I guess. I'm going to kind of disagree with you. So let's just get right into it. Rutgers, <laughs> as we talked about, win. Vatek, yep. week two, always a little scary going down a night game and enter Sandman. But I do think that they're consistently overrated. Win, 2-0. Main, night game, which is so weird for an SES that's win, 3-0. Florida State, Florida State is, again, it's a like of Tech in that sense of like it's just a tough place to play in general. Three and0 gets like the fan I mean, 3 and0, if we're 3 and0 gets their, their their fan base into it a little bit more. I assume they'll probably be a decent record at that point. But still, they've had our number historically. We're overdue for a win. that's a win that's 4 and0. Louisville at home, I think being at home for that is is big. I'm terrified of uh, their mobile quarterback that's kind of tore us up the last couple of years. That one is. I'm going to still call it a win, but I don't really love it. I'm just going to say that. But that gets us five and zero into Clemson. Clemson is College Game Day again because they're going to be top five as they you know, currently are ranked at four. College Game Day on the Heights four and or five and zero going into it. I'm going to unfortunately say lost for that one, and I hate to say it, but I think that otherwise we're going to end up at twelve and zero at the end of this exercise. And. That just feels a little too high. But anyways, five and one. Wake Forest, again, to your point, that's a fraudulent 22. No Sam Hartman. That's a win. That's six and one. UConn, give me a break. We might try to go to the UConn game because I've got people forget I'm like from 10 minutes away from Wrenchler Field. So might try to go to that. But that's what? That's a win. That's, uh, seven and one, right? Seven and one. Um, have we had the buy yet? Yeah, we had the buy before Wake Forest. Duke at home. Easy win. Eight and one, NC State on the road. That one scares me a little bit. I'm going to say loss for that one. Eight and two. Uh, I know, I know. Notre Dame, we're going to Notre Dame. Big group going out. Chicago party bus two and back. That's a win. The Jerko, what a way to end his you know total college career. That's a win. It's the biggest win we've had in a decade plus for sure. I would say uh, that puts us at what are we ten and one, ten and what are we nine and two right now? Nine and two. End the year, Syracuse at home, Thanksgiving weekend, another win. 10-2, and two, Matt. I feel really, really good about this team's ability to get 10-2. and two. That's a good bowl game. We're going to play a bowl game this year, it feels like. We're overdue for playing a bowl game. So we're going to win whatever bowl game we're in. I'm going 11-2, and two, final prediction.
1: I like it. Uh, I actually have the same. Uh, so 10-2, 11-2 two, two with the bowl game. The losses that I have... I, I, I'm still scared of Louisville. The way we played them last year, the way Cunningham just tore us up, 133 rushing yards. We're, we're at a wedding that, that game. So we're watching on our phone, not during the ceremony. So to, correct. So to yeah. We showed listen. a little,
0: we showed a little restraint.
1: Yeah. It was, it was in between cocktail hours a hold. Yep. So, um, and Denny threw that, that interception. It wasn't his fault, by the way. But anyway, um, he's going to be really good this year. I, that's, that's one of our losses and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's in that stretch where we have to go on the road to Florida State, then we come home, play Louisville, and then Clemson's the week after. I think, unfortunately, I think we lose two out of those three between Florida State, Louisville, and Clemson. But then I have us undefeated the rest of the year. Um, one thing about Virginia Tech, while that is a a tough environment, you know, they fired their coach, so they're brand new. They're starting from scratch. That really should be a game we win. Uh, if we can't beat them, then, you know, we have issues. Other than that, I think you're right. I really don't believe the hype with NC State. Here's a fun bet if you want to get into the props. You can currently get NC State under 8.5 wins at plus 135. Uh, I made a sizable wager on that. It's always fun to root against NC State. Um, and then, yeah, like like you said, it really culminates in, in the Notre Dame game. And uh, it's a revenge game for Jericho. And, you know, who knows? Like Brian Kelly, as much as we dump on him, he's a good coach, right? They win ball games. We don't know that yet about Freeman. They have a quarterback that can't really throw. It would have been nice for them to have Jerko this year, uh, but sure they have would. that guy, a sure mobile quarterback. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we close it out with the, with the WQS. We're ten and two, and that gets us to uh, I don't know, maybe a January first bowl. Who
0: knows? That would be nice. That would be a really, really nice way for for this year to come together. So eleven and two. I'm feeling really good about that, Matt. I, again, like I said, this is one of the more optimistic, you know, as I've felt as a fan in August in a really long time. So overall, eleven and two. If not better, I could see us going even better than that. But uh, hope everyone is on board. Appreciate everyone listening again. You know, it's going to be a little bit more few and far between. It's our you know year thirty one. We have things to do. We're a little busier. We're going to try to record when we can. This is probably kind of the, the last dance overall. So we appreciate you know everyone sticking with us for one last the ride, dance. the half dance as it were. Um, for those of you in New York, we'll all be at Tipsy Nomad on Saturday to watch Rutgers. Matt will be there. It's going to be quite the uh, quite the experience. We've got a couple folks. I'm going to Dewey's. Town. Okay, he'll be at Dewey's. Uh, that's important. And otherwise, maybe we'll see, see people at Clemson. We might go to that game. Notre Dame and UConn. Yes. Notre Dame, definitely. UConn, maybe. Clemson would be great. It's always good to get back up to the heights. But wherever you're watching, it's a great day to be an eagle. I, I hope it's a good – I think it will be a, a good crowd. The Labor Day crowd's always a little weird though, right, because people go to the Cape. They, they just generally aren't um – generally aren't going to, to Brighton for that game. But hopefully it's a good crowd. A Big Ten, you know, a lot of people have a Rutgers connection in the family. You would kind of think that, that that's going to draw a good attendance. It's a the big student open. game. It's
1: always a, it should it's be. Always a big student yes. game. But yeah, the, the upper decks might be a little empty. But but yeah, I mean, it's obviously a massive game. So if you're on the fence about going, you got to go. It's a, it's a must win. We, we got to have the home crowd environment.
0: Right. Uh, well, again, thanks everyone for listening, Matt. I don't know anything you want to wrap it up with. I, I, I Overall, I think we're, we're both really positive about what's going on this year and i just can't wait for for next saturday
1: this is it folks this is it this is year three of the athlete era it's Trico. it's Zay. it's the last ride um let's win some ball games get in folks